Hey everyone, and welcome back to our online ministry at Grace Baptist Church. Now, when we're meeting in person, we always invite people to join us for coffee and, and just take a few minutes to get to know us. And while we can't do coffee together right now, we'd love for you to let us know that you visited with us today in the comments below. Now, before we get into the passage, I want to ask whether you've ever been tempted to fake it till you make it. Have you heard about this? The idea has been around for decades. Basically, it's the idea that you should pretend to, to be the person you're hoping to become. And there have actually been a number of psychological studies on this. In one study, they compared people with a neutral facial expression to another group of people who were trained to force a smile by actually holding their cheeks in place with chopsticks until they could mimic the right smiling expression. Now, when they gave these two groups of people a difficult task to do, the people who were fake smiling, <laughs> they actually had lower heart rates and showed less stress. They concluded that you can actually fake, your, fake smile your way to greater happiness. Now, I experienced a different version of faking it till you make it when I was learning Japanese. Many of the expressions and the actual language patterns felt completely unnatural to me. So my Canadian self didn't want to do them. And so what I would do is often pretend that I was an actor playing a Japanese person. Faking the part actually helped me get into the part. Now, there may be times when it helps to fake it till you make it. But there are other times when it's an absolutely deadly strategy. Faking it when you go to the doctor could land you in the morgue. Pretending to be healthy with someone whose goal is to cure you. Crazy. And the same is true with God. If you fake it with God, you cut yourself off from the one who can heal you. If we fake it in spiritual fellowship, we become blind to the condition of our hearts. And yet I, I think if we're honest, we realize that we fake it all the time. We pretend to know when we don't. We act like we're there when we're not. We bluff maturity and nobody's fooled. Now today's passage shows us that Jesus heals blindness in some and he condemns it in others. And everything hinges on whether they're faking it or not. It warns against some of the ways that we're tem tempted to fake it. And it points us toward a more honest relationship with God and with others. A relationship where we be can begin to see more growth and maturing in our lives. Now, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to pause the video at this point and open to John chapter 9 verses 35 to 41. I'll read from John chapter 9, verses 35 to 41. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. 
Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. This is the word of God. Now, the encouragement of this passage is that if we know that we can't see without Jesus, he'll heal our blindness. He works in our lives when we're honest with our need and are desperate for only what what only he can do. If you know that you can't see without Jesus, he'll heal your blindness. Now, as the scene opens in verse 35, we see, uh, uh, we, we meet a man who keeps facing dead ends. He, he's the one who was born blind. He was forced to beg for money for, to survive. Then when he was miraculously healed by Jesus, he faced criticism from the religious authorities for not denouncing Jesus for healing on a Sabbath. His parents don't even support him. And he ends up getting kicked out of the synagogue. He's down and out. But often down and out is a place to meet Jesus. When we read verse 35, it surprises us because Jesus is a busy, itinerant preacher. We might think he'd heal a person and just move on. But he learns of the opposition and the rejection that the man faced, and he's concerned. And he's concerned enough to go looking for him. It's encouraging to read because when we face rejection like that, it feels like nobody cares. feels like we're all alone. When Jesus finds the man, though, he doesn't immediately console him about his experience in the synagogue. He, he doesn't follow up to make sure that the healing stuck. How's your eyesight? Instead, Jesus asks him a seemingly unrelated question. In verse 35, he asks, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the healed man has every reason to fake it at this point. The last time he answered people's questions, he was told that he was steeped in sin and he was kicked out of the community of faith. It's a vulnerable time for him to be quizzed theologically. It would so, be so much easier for him to say, Son of man, yeah, of course I believe in him. I've believed in him since, him since before most people ever heard of him. But he chooses not to fake it. Not to fake it till you make it. And it's a good thing that he does. In verse 36, the man responds to Jesus, and he says, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Remember, the man was blind the only time he met Jesus, and he had been sent off to wash in a pool of water to be healed. So he doesn't have any idea what Jesus looks like. Jesus responds, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Now, this whole exchange is important because it shows that physical healing is seldom ever the point. Jesus healed his blindness, but there's something more crucial than his eyesight. He wants to open his eyes spiritually. He wants to heal his soul. And so when the man admits his need, Jesus makes it clear that he's the great Savior. The man responds in verse 38, and he says, Lord, I believe, and it says, and he worshiped him. It's an incredible moment of clarity, and it's come as he's refused to fake it. 
In this chapter, it seems that whenever he's asked a question, he doesn't know the answer. In verse 12, uh, back at the beginning of the chapter, he's asked where Jesus is. And the answer is, I don't know. In verse 24, he's asked whether Jesus is a sinner or not. I don't know. In verse 35, he's asked about the Son of Man. And of course, the answer again, he doesn't know. But Jesus loves to fill in the blanks for a person who's honest with him. The healed man has spent most of his life blind, but because he's refused to fake it and is honest with Jesus, he ends the chapter being the only one who can really see. And I read this and it makes me want to dig up my own weaknesses and bring them before Jesus. It makes me want a more honest relationship with him makes me realize that facing the weaknesses that I have and the questions that I can't answer, that's the key to continuing to grow. There's a passage in Isaiah chapter 42, 16. And it says this, And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. I need the encouragement of this verse to remind me not to fake it. Because if you're blind in your job, you might get fired. If you're blind in your studies, you might fail. But if you're blind and you admit it to Jesus, it says that you'll receive his healing. He promises not to forsake the blind, but to lead them and to guide them and to turn the darkness before them into light. Now, today's passage starts with an encouragement that if you know that you can't see without Jesus, he'll heal your blindness. But it also gives a warning. And so we'll turn there now. The warning is that if you think you can see without Jesus, he'll condemn your blindness. If you're blind to your blindness and faking it before the only one who can heal you, then there can be no healing, only judgment. If you think you can see without Jesus, he'll condemn your blindness. Now, we left the blind man in this extraordinary display of worship and personal faith. He's brought his blindness before Jesus. Uh, He's brought his questions and his abandonment to Jesus. And he's experienced profound healing and acceptance in return. But in contrast to the man's humility and openness before Jesus, there are some others whose hearts are not as honest, nor as teachable. In verse 40, it says, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. They've just confirmed an incredible miraculous healing but they're sitting on the sidelines. They'd rather critique Jesus than actually seek him. They ask him, are we also blind? (laughs) But it's not a question. It's more like, surely you don't think we're blind, do you? Do you realize who we are? They're self-satisfied and complacent. They don't see their need of Jesus. When you get to verse 41, Jesus calls them on it. He says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, 
your guilt remains. It's a strange saying. It almost sounds like a riddle. It's the kind of word that just hangs there. It probably left the Pharisees speechless, but they probably never forgot it either. Do you understand what it means? The sense is that if you truly understand how spiritually blind you were, I could help you. You could receive healing and forgiveness and grace. But since you think that your vision is 2020, your guilt remains. I can't do anything to fix it. And the message is that God will judge self-satisfied complacency. Now, if you were standing where the Pharisees were, what would you have done? Knowing what you know, I doubt you would have attacked Jesus. But what would you have asked him? Take a moment to just ask yourself right now. Put yourself in the scene. What would you have asked for? Your answer probably reveals something about how you understand yourself. It probably re reveals something about how you understand Jesus, too. If Jesus looked your way and said, how can I help you? Would you be like, I I'm good. There are probably some other people who need the help more. Or would you ask for some stuff? I need this, Jesus. Or maybe to heal a physical need. I've, I've had this bunion I can't get dealt with. Or would you have asked him to help deal with your sin? Or your blindness to sin? Just lay it out. Give me a full heart diagnostic, Jesus. In verse 41, Jesus has essentially divided the world into people who think they're good. Hey, I'm good. And people who know that they're, they're sick. And if you don't know that you're sick, there's no hope for you. There's a verse in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. And it says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you don't know that you're sick, and if you can't admit that you're sick, then you're just faking it. The truth isn't in you. And you don't have any part with Jesus, no matter how often you read your Bible or go to church. Jesus himself put it another way. He said this in, uh, in, in Mark's gospel. He said, those who are well have no need of a phys physician, but those who are sick. I came to call the righteous, I called, not, not call the righteous, but sinners. You see, you start off the Christian life by admitting that you're sick and really sick. This word isn't just talking about some kind of spiritual cold. You need to admit that you've got a moral and spiritual cancer that only Jesus can heal. And that's not just how you come to Jesus. That's the only way that you keep growing with Jesus. Now, did you start off the Christian life feeling sick, but now feel like somehow you're all righteous? It's easy to stop coming to Jesus for healing. But that's when we start faking it and our faith begins to sour. 
There's a verse in Proverbs 26, uh, Proverbs 26, 12. And it says this, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Now, in the book of Proverbs, one of the greatest condemnations you can make of a person is that they're a fool. But this verse says that there's something worse than a fool. A person who is wise in their own eyes. A person who thinks they've got it all figured out. They're unteachable. They're blind. They're good. They don't need anything from Jesus other, other than for him to make their lives more comfortable. And there are as many in the church as there are outside it. I think we all know how easy it is to fake it. And when we do, we become blind to the condition of our hearts. So if I'm going to be real about my sickness, I need to be talking about it with Jesus. Examination, confession, repentance, they need to become more important to me. I'm also going to have to talk about it with others. I'm going to have to be suspicious of my own heart and my ability to see. And so I'm going to invite feedback. I'm going to listen for where people might be revealing my blind spots. And I'm going to do that because I'm desperate for healing. If you know you can't see without Jesus, he'll heal your blindness. But if you think you can see without Jesus, he'll condemn your blindness. So don't try to fake it till you make it with Jesus. Now, as much as we can be blind to the condition of our hearts, it's just as easy to be blind to the true Jesus. We can think that we're worshiping Jesus, but actually use his name to refer to someone almost unrecognizable from the Jesus revealed in scripture. Is it possible you could be blind to the true Jesus? Let's just consider how he's revealed himself in this passage. We first see him in verse 35 as the sinner pursuing savior. Jesus seeks out the man he's healed. He takes the initiative to seek sinners. People like to talk about them seeking God, but the consistent testimony of the Bible is that he's seeking us. If you've found Jesus, it's because he found you first. Do you trust in the sinner pursuing Jesus? Now, the next way that Jesus reveals himself is through the question that he asks in that verse. He asks the man in verse 35, do you believe in the son of man? Now, the son of man is a kind of cryptic way that Jesus referred to himself. And the term comes from Daniel 7, 13, where it describes one like a son of man who came to the Father and says that he was given dominion and glory and kingdom and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, it says, which shall not pass away. Is this the way that you believe about Jesus? Do you trust in the all-powerful eternal ruler, Jesus? Do you submit to his rule in your life? Do you treat him like an all-powerful king? Now, the man whom Jesus asks his question believes. Although he was born blind, he's the only one in the chapter other than Jesus who can really see. And he responds to Jesus in verse 38 with worship. And in one sense, this is a shocking scene. The idea that an observant Jew in the first century 
would bow in worship before someone is just stunning. From day one, it had been drilled into them that you never, ever, ever worship anything but God. But that's exactly the conclusion that this man has come to regarding Jesus. He is God in human flesh. He is the one who is worthy of our worship. Is that how you see Jesus? Do you trust in the God who is to be worshiped, Jesus? Now, there are plenty of people who love to worship Jesus, even worship him as God, but they don't see him for how he reveals himself in verse 39. That's where he says, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Jesus' first coming was mainly about saving people, but he did come as a light, and so he exposed the darkness. You couldn't get close to Jesus without your true colors showing. Until Jesus came, for instance, people thought the Pharisees were the holiest people on the planet. They had rigged a game of religion where they could be the winners. But when Jesus came, he showed their entire game was corrupt. They were shown to be power-hungry hypocrites and eventually murderers. Jesus continues to reveal the true condition of our hearts, too. He does that by our response to him. But one day, his judgment will move from merely showing people's guilt to actually declaring and executing the sentence. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due. Do you trust in the Jesus who will sit in judgment over the entire earth? Do you believe that he is the one who will pronounce people's guilt or their innocence? Because if you don't, then you're blind to the real Jesus. You're using his name to talk about some imaginary person. And the problem is, an imaginary person can't save you. A person that you've just made up in your head can't heal you. Only the true Jesus can do that. And only if we see and trust him as he is. So, what do you do with a message like this? Personally, I start with a fear of my own potential for becoming blind to sin. I want to warn myself how dangerous blindness is. If I can't see, I'm headed for trouble. If I realize how dangerous blindness is, then I'm going to do everything in my power not to fake it. I've got to be more honest with myself, more honest with God, and more honest with other people. And I don't find that comes very naturally. I have to work at it. If I re realize how dangerous blindness is, then I'm also going to, get, going to get serious about God's main prescription for my blindness. And that's honest fellowship in the family of God. If I get close to other people and have the humility to listen, I begin to see my life and even the condition of my heart through different eyes. Now, if you're trying to live the Christian life at arm's length from, from the family of God, then that's just a recipe for blindness. And that's why we keep urging people to get into our life groups, to get into fellowship. Ultimately, this passage, and really the entire chapter that we've looked at, has been trying to convince me that Jesus can heal my blindness. 
He can help me to see. But I've got to come before the true Jesus and not fake it. As I bring my sin and blindness to him, trusting in him as my only savior, he gives light to my eyes and cleansing to my heart. And when that happens, I experience what the healed man did. I respond in worship. Jesus becomes my light and my life, my healing, my salvation. May Jesus become that in all of our lives. Let's look to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we recognize that you are the only one who can see the true condition of our hearts, and you see it now. Help us to see our own tendencies to blindness. Help us to see our blind spots. Help us to see the areas in our, in our lives where we're faking it. And give us the courage to be more honest. More honest with you, with ourselves, and with other people. Help us to trust in you as you truly are as you're revealed in the pages of scripture and help us to come to you for healing and to keep coming because we're sick and we need a doctor and we thank you that Jesus is our great physician. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope that today's message has helped you deal with your tendencies to fake it pointed you to the only one who can heal our blindness. If this message has stirred up questions or needs for you and you'd like prayer, then send me an email or leave a comment below. And if you know someone who'd be encouraged by this message, share it with them and be a channel of God's grace in their life. For more messages of hope, visit www.gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.